Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, tonight we are talking about Black Widow, which um, we as a group uh, saw, I think, on Disney Plus because we are all based in Sydney and Sydney is in, in lockdown again. <laughs> so our movie options have dwindled significantly to whatever is on streaming. Um, so I'm joined tonight by Gerald, Anija, Mags, um, and I'm Darren. So say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, and Black Widow. Black Widow, the latest in uh, the Marvel sort of cinematic universe. Um, kind of not really a follow-on from Avengers Endgame. Um, it's a prequel. It's the first um, sort of one-off Black, you know, Black Widow as the main character vehicle, right? Black Widow in the past has always just been part of the Avengers. She's never had her own film, so it was her film i think it's been a long time coming this film um yeah and it's kind of set um i think after captain america civil war correct me if i'm wrong gerald i'm pretty sure it's set after civil war that's absolutely right uh so she's on she's on the run um what's his name the william hood character thunderbolt ross Ross, or whatever yeah he's 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 hot on her trail so it is right off the back of um, Captain America Civil War. And uh, Daz, I, I know you've, you've, you've very diplomatically said that this is the first standalone Black Widow movie. I think uh, for all sorts of reasons, including recent developments, uh, it'll probably be the only Black Widow movie. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. That's true. So I guess this film... So firstly, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast. So um, we're going to talk about... We're just going to assume you've seen this film, right? So we can talk and complain and all that type of stuff about this film. Um... And yeah, this this film is probably topical. We thought we missed a bandwagon on this film, and then Scarlett Johansson decided to sue Disney for uh, missing royalties. So, not that that really has anything to do with anything. Like, I think that is a purely commercial, like, disagreement with two parties. <laughs> but like, it's made this film topical again, right? So, um. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, so Black Widow is a prequel film. It basically covers, um, like, Black Widow um, sort of dealing with her past, right? So in sort of past Avengers films, we've been told... uh, Is it past Avengers or Captain America films? We've been told that, like, um, Black Widow was a part of this sort of Russian training program for assassins um, called the Red Room. You know, like a pretty sort of horrific, sort of Soviet-style sort of um, camp that sort of pushes out these assassins. But it was all sort of very um, vague, right? You kind of vaguely understood what it was. Um, this film basically has Black Widow going back um, and um, sorting out her past by dealing with the Red Room. Um, and by dealing with the Red Room, it basically means tracking down a bad guy and capping him <laughs> essentially right so yeah look um who wants to start who wants to who who would like to sort of give their yeah. initial yeah. go yeah. Yeah. Why, don't, uh, why don't you uh, kick the kick the uh, kick us all off and uh, we'll hop in uh, in due course oh sorry sorry were you saying i should do it or oh uh, no you or either you or mags does we uh <laughs> okay okay um Mags, why don't you kick off? Okay, sure. Um, so I um, went into this movie with very little expectations. Um, I had enjoyed Black Widow as a sort of moderate to minor um, character in the Avengers movies and in the Iron Man movies, um, and I thought it would be quite an interesting backstory to explore. Um, having watched it, I think at the end it was an interesting diversion. It felt more like a telly movie um, when compared to the other kind of single character origin stories, um, Iron Man, Thor and Captain America. And I think overall it was one of the weaker Marvel movies, which was a bit disappointing. I think they could have done so much more with the source material and with the character to you know, help us to understand who are Black Widows, what is this academy, 
how does Russia fit in and in the history of this universe, the kind of Cold War tensions as well. And also I think they could have done use the movie as well to explore super soldiers because that's been such a big part of um, the war in the universe. Um, I think there was almost, it, it made me hard, it, it made it hard for me to empathise with the Black Widow, um, uh, with the Black, with um, Scarlett Johansson and with the Black Widow, um, other Black Widow assassins because at the end of the movie I still had no clearer understanding of their plight why they were there, who this guy was that kept them captive, and how exactly they were using their amazing assassination skills to do their work. I had no idea how this Russian general could have set up a rogue militia in the clouds with no one knowing for decades. Um, what technology did he have? How come the Avengers never knew about this floating paradise and you know above Russia? How like, could they have satellites? Right. No, I mean, <laughs> Captain America: Civil War was set in about 2016-ish, so we are talking about like satellites. Yeah, <laughs> a movie kind of set now. At least 30 years, you know. Um, and then um, I think you know, with um, Red, was it the Red Soldier or the Crimson? No, the Red, the, uh, the Red Guardian. The Red Guardian. That's it. yeah. David you know, Harbor. Apparently... David Harbor's character. Yeah. Yes. Apparently, the first super soldier, they did nothing with this guy. And if he's the first super soldier, clearly this would have been a fantastic movie to have done flashbacks as to how the Russians had come up with super soldiers as well, which would have been really interesting. Um, I thought the ending was just ridiculous. Um, it felt like a return to, I think, the, the weakest Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron, and that battle scene in Sokovia. That's what it felt like to me. Um, but otherwise, I thought the fight sequences, um, the arm-to-arm -arm combat, particularly between Scarlett Johansson and, and Florence Pug, was really interesting. I thought Florence Pug was good. They didn't use her enough. Um, and, um, yeah, so I also thought, you know, they had a great cast they could have played with, Rachel Weisz as well, but really didn't use them at all that effectively. Um, so at the end of the day, I thought it was, you know, a good diversion, but would I watch it again? Not really. Also, at the end, the spoiler, um, the kind of wink to potentially Florence Pug taking on as um, the role of the next Black Widow and potentially hunting Hawkeye makes me a bit nervous. Yeah, yeah. Anija, Jerry, what do you guys think? <laughs> Look, I thought it was all right. Um, it had some weird shifts from serious to comedy. Um, the villain was, you know, obviously not set up well, so seemed very standard. He's just the villain because that's his title, you know? Like, we don't, like Mag said, I don't think we knew enough about this Black Widow organisation or you know, the role of anybody or anything yeah, yeah. Um, to care that much, yeah. you know? And there's supposed to be some emotional emotional like, like turmoil or you know something between black widow and this boss but because none of that is set up it's implied so we can't yeah. feel it yeah so you know that was a weakness for the final sort of climactic scenes and also i kind of tuned out at the end i think maybe because that the story the plot wasn't strong enough to carry it through um, you know, the themes of, like, family um, just didn't ring true to me. Like, it was good when they were being funny because some of the jokes were funny, but I just couldn't really believe much of it. Like, you know, I think it was it seemed strange that these people had pretended to be a family for a couple of years and then hadn't seen each other for, like, 30. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, it, it seemed odd that, you know, within the space of hours of having reunited, they were acting like, you know, that their bonds... The sitcom, like... yeah, the sitcom family, right? Like, as in, they reunited... Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't like it when a movie... This is not the only movie that does it, and there are other franchises that do this, which I forgive uh, because I love the franchises, but I don't like it when a movie makes use of face masks to transform one character into a completely different character. That happened here, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that is just so stupid. That's as bad as I woke up and it's all a dream. Like, come on. Okay. Look, in defense of Mission Impossible, which is the other film that uses oh, yeah. this, right? Like, that's part of the Mission Impossible shtick from the beginning, right? That they use the face masks. So it's kind of like, okay, that's part of that franchise. You kind of... Yes, and everything yeah. else about Mission Impossible is great, so we yeah. can overlook that. that uh, but, but, yeah. but does you forget that the, this particular brand of face mask technology, which looks a bit more digital than the analog versions in Mission Impossible actually made an appearance in the final sequence of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Did it? Yes, and Natasha Romanoff was the person who used it. So there's there's the sequence in the office of Alexander Pierce, the uh, character played by Robert Redford. Yeah. And um, one of the members of the the committee that oversees whatever it is that they oversee um, is played by uh, Jenny Agatha, the, uh, the British actress of um, considerable fame and vintage, who uh, who is revealed at ah um, uh, yeah I think I remember to be now. to yeah. be Natasha Romanoff. So yeah. we have seen this technology before in this universe, but it, no, it wasn't set up. It, Look, it's not it's not a trademark of the universe the way it is. I don't care if it's been set up well. If it's a trademark, it's still stupid. Okay, <laughs> and I don't like that. And so because that was also part of the finale, it might have been part of why I just checked out once the finale rolled in. I thought um, Skydro looked great in her um, Black Widow sort of presentation. <laughs> I thought that joke about uh, her posing was hilarious. Um, and yeah, you know, it's fine. It was all right. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I'll go next. I look, I, I agree, right? I I, th- I agree with Mags. I agree with mostly what pretty well, pretty much ev- what everyone said. I I found this to be, or, look, to be honest, I I thought this was a pretty mediocre Marvel film, right? Like, um, like there were a few things that I thought there were a few things that worked, right? Like, look, for me, I'm probably a little bit more charitable about the. So during this film, there's this whole fake family thing, right? Because the film starts off where, um, you know, like, you see a young Natasha Romanoff and Yelena, who is, like, Florence Pug or Pooh's character in the in the future, and, like, they pretend to be sisters, and they're in the US, basically, undercover for the Soviets to steal something, right? So, Rachel Weisz is the mother, and David Harbour is the father, right? And I thought that, like, as an op- I thought as an opening sequence, I thought that was kind of, it was pretty strong. I, I thought that was interesting. It was an interesting setup, if nothing else, right? That, oh, she lived this period kind of, you know, as part of this sort of supposedly loving family in inverted commas, right? So I thought that was like an interesting setup, right? And look, I, I, I'm more charitable about the family stuff because I, I actually think plot-wise, well, look, I think, ex- sorry, execution-wise, that family um, sort of connection between the characters was executed better than some of the other parts of this plot, right? While, I, I'm not saying it was written well, right? Because obviously the there is this weird disconnect that they were together as a fake family for three years and haven't seen each other for like 25 and then all of a sudden they sort of fit in. But when they are together, that sort of family dynamic I think is executed okay, right? And I, I think there is chemistry between the characters, right? So I thought that was okay. But like for me, like what really didn't work with this plot was what Mag said. The whole, like, Red Room plot was, like, one, kind of boring, because it was basically, like, she was just like, I'm I'm just gonna go up and find this guy who's floating in the sky and kill him, right? And then there's this other subplot that's mixed in there, which is, like, this sort of brainwashing plot, where, like, basically the main villain, who's just, like, you know, he's just cardboard cut-out, sort of moustache-twirling villain-numbered number five, right? Like, he's just a bad guy. He has no redeeming qualities, right? Like, he mind controls, like, this army of female assassins using some sort of, sort of, chemical, sort of, device. And then, you know, there's a whole plot thing about how... And he even turned his daughter into a killing robot. That's how, like, unredeemable... Yeah, yeah, he's just this horrible piece of crap, right? Like, exactly. Right? 
And then, and so, like, apparently some of the widows have gotten out and have this sort of chemical antidote to the brainwashing thing, right? Now, okay, I get it, right? The setup is that this guy's a horrible piece of crap. He's got all this brainwashing sort of chemical out there, right? But, like, for me, it, like, basically when you saw the brainwashing in action, there was this weird, it, it didn't quite land for me in the execution because, like, the way they did the brainwashing and then how you recovered from the brainwashing was so abrupt and, like, I was kind of... So, for me, it was there's this huge disconnect. In the first scene, when Florence Pooh's character gets affected by the antidote and then she immediately switches, right? And I'm like, hang on. So, like, how does this whole brainwashing chemical thing actually work? Because it, it basically seems like she has no side effects from it, right? Like, you would think that you, like, when you have this level of brainwashing, there's some sort of psychological sort of um, side effect to this. There's some sort of, like, trauma to it, right? But it's basically like you get the antidote to this brainwashing thing, and, like, everything just becomes fine, right? Like, you have no trauma, like, you don't question any of your actions, I thought it was such a weird decision to play it like that, because it's like, you would think that it would be more interesting if you have characters who are questioning what's real, what's not, right? Especially in what is supposedly like a thriller spy film. So you have, like, you, sh you know, thriller spy films, there's often this sort of, like, constant... Um, sort of self-questioning, deceit, you know, like, you know, who's on my side, who's not on my side, right? And like, and then you mix into it that you have this mind control device there, and you would think that there would be some sort of, like, psychological thriller tension aspect going through it, right? And then it's like, there isn't any of that at all. It, it, it like, plays like a Saturday morning cartoon almost, where, like, all the widows get exposed to the sort of antidote gas, and they just walk around like, okay, that was fine. Let's just get on with it. Like, we're all good guys now. I was like, that's so bizarre. I don't know if that, like, anybody else found that weird, but for me, it was, like, one of the weirdest choices for this film. And, like, it led to me not being able to engage with this film because it was just, like, you know, you're meant to really feel for these widows, but then you're, you're kind of like, well... But... They didn't think too hard about this movie, did they? It's like they were like... They, they wrote the storyline, but then all they focused on was having women looking good, kicking ass, and then a family sitcom comedy thrown in on the side. So they just didn't really think about any other aspect of it and how to develop it and, you know, what else it could have done for the franchise or for, you know, us as an audience. Absolutely. And I think nowhere is that better shown than in the Taskmaster character, right? So this is Olga, Olga Kurilenko in inverted commas because she says, like, two words in this film, right? So this is the character who is um, the daughter of General Drakov, <laughs> like, who has been horribly made, put into this, what I assume is like a cyborg suit or something like that. And, like, you're meant to feel really sorry for her, but, like, you, you basically feel nothing. It's so weird. Like, and then, right at the end, she gets exposed to the gas. Like, like, you have no idea what is going on with this Taskmaster character, apart from the fact that she's like a Terminator, right? Because she doesn't say anything, right? And then... <laughs> so what are you supposed to think has gone on with her? Like, is she meant to have been, like, so seriously brain damaged from the explosion? Like, so basically, the setup is that Black Widow, one of the dark... One of the dark things that Black Widow did in her past was that she blew up General Drakov, this horrible Russian general guy, right? But in blowing him up, uh, she killed the daughter, right? But then it turns out that none of them died. There was this huge explosion, none of them died. And, like, the daughter is fine. She was just, like, put into this sort of robot suit. So, Scarlet, like, Black Widow doesn't really have that sort of... Um, debt on her ledger anymore, as she would put it, right? It was just like... And then, like, she, this this lady who is Olga Kurilenko, who's, in, who's the taskmaster, apparently, who is, like, in this suit, it's like, they expose her to the chemical agent in the end, and, like, she just recovers. She's just like, oh my god, it was all so horrible. I'm just like, what? What's going on here? I, I thought that she had been meant 
like brain damage or something? I, I don't know. Anyway, that whole Red Room, like, mind-washing plot was not particularly well thought out. Like, it did not execute well. It did not keep me engaged. And so this is why I 100% agree with Mags that the last scene, the final explosive scene where Black Widow basically, there's like a falling sky, this station in the sky is like disintegrating and they're all falling like five kilometers from the sky, right? Like that scene felt like the Sokovia scene in Avengers 2, where it's just like things are blowing up and I don't really care that much. Yeah, I, I kind of definitely switched off by that point. So, yeah. Anyway, Jerry, what do you think? I think one of the most telling moments in the entire movie, uh, and one which perhaps, you know, we're not meant to make much of or, or notice, is the scene in which Natasha Romanoff is hanging out in her trailer um, in Norway in the um, first half an hour of the movie, and she's watching, of all things, on her laptop, Moonraker, which gives you an indication of what um, inspiration the filmmakers were drawing from. The problem being, of course, that uh, Moonraker is one of the worst Bond films <laughs> ever made. And amongst other things, it features Bond going to space and uh, taking on the villain in a big space station in the sky. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just think I, th- I think the it's understandable that they wanted to make a sort of espionage spy action thriller um, out of this out of this material um, because uh, if if, the, if there's one thing that the, the MCU is pretty good at it, it's genre hopping and this is a particular genre that they haven't really uh, devoted much time and attention to so spy action thriller totally get what they were going for here. Um, They just chose some goofy inspiration. And what made it all the more goofy was the fact that at various points, this movie hints at some really dark stuff. Like the title sequence in the beginning where um, Natasha Romanoff and the Florence Pugh character, all those children, are are, are carted away in in shipping cargoes, Mm -hmm. shipping cargo containers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... That's a not too subtle hint at the business of international sex, sex trafficking, um, and it's it you know you've got this slow haunting version of Smells Like Teen Spirit, weird song choice, but we'll go with it, playing over the top of this. So that's really dark stuff. And then there's another scene which, having been reunited with the um, with the David Harbour character, both. Um, Natasha and, and, and the Florence Pugh character start joking about the fact that they've had involuntary hysterectomies and you're like this is this is a really weird way to handle some of this material we're talking about you know the brainwashing of you know a group of young women all of whom have been given involuntary hysterectomies and all of whom have been sort of snapped up in a system of basically white slavery somewhat akin to uh, the international sex trafficking sex trafficking trade one of the participants in all that is the Rachel Vice character because she seems to be the scientist, the scientist who designed um, the uh, brain the brainwashing reagents which caused uh, these young women to be so susceptible to the control of Drakoff. this is some really really dark subject matter and it's been dealt with, I think, in the most sort of uh, tastelessly uh, offhanded way. And, and so there's this sort of tonal weirdness about the movie. There's the fact that um, you've got this you've got this really dark undertow, and then you've slapped on top of that a bit of um, the family sitcom vibe, and then on top of that is a sort of goofy spy action thriller inspired by one of the worst James Bond movies ever made. And the the combination is just deeply, deeply weird. And it also makes the movie feel somewhat overstuffed. For, for example, I, I think if there's one 
I agree with you, Daz, that if there's one character who is dealt a really bad hand in this movie, it's, it's the Taskmaster. Now, as I understand it, this movie deals with the character of the Taskmaster in a way that's completely um, at odds with the way the character appears in the source material, uh, and that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, um, why would you give this character so little to do? Why would you cast Olga Kerylenko to say barely any lines in the film um, and um, and to top it all off... She wasn't even the one in the suit. No, so... she, wasn't, she wasn't the one in the suit, but, you know, when, when the helmet is removed, it's yeah. it's her face. But, like, o- Olga Kirilenko is a pretty good, pretty good actress. She has the, you know, unusual distinction of being one of the very, quite possibly the only female lead in a Bond film who has no romantic interaction with Bond whatsoever. And so you would have thought that, you know, if you were going to cast someone like Olga Kurilenko in the role, you would actually make it a somewhat meatier role than what we see on screen, which is this complete nothing. It's sort of, it's sort of, um, yeah, it's sort of the the Terminator, but even less developed. Um, yeah. And then, and then Drakeoff is a complete, I, I think... Drakeoff continues the problem that the MCU has had with villains. Uh, now, every so often the MCU serves up a good villain like Thanos, but for the most part, their villains have been pretty average. And Drakeoff is in that vein, and it doesn't help that they've cast Ray Winstone to play a Russian in circumstances where, A, he, he, he just seems to have phoned it in, B, the character's not developed at all, and see, he doesn't have a handle of the accent at all. So Ray Winstone's a very good actor. This is one of his very worst performances. Uh, and so the overall the overall impression one is left with is um, generally everyone has been done something of a disservice, particularly the character of Natasha Romanoff. This movie is a this movie, let's face it, is at least five years too late. I mean, it's telling that it's set in around 2016 um, in the aftermath of Captain America: Civil War, and I and I think it's I think it's it the fact that there is a standalone Black Widow movie doesn't make up for the fact that it's coming after they've killed off the character um, in circumstances where for uh, for a long, long time fans have been clamouring for her to get a standalone film, and also in circumstances where during that time. Um, for all the problems associated with the DC Extended Universe, they've pumped out two Wonder Woman films. So this is this feels like too little too late for Natasha Romanoff, and, and it feels very much like an afterthought, um, which, is a, which is a problem not helped by the fact that if you take a step back, the entire movie, far from being a movie about Natasha Romanoff, is really a setup for... Florence Pugh yes. to take a place uh, in Phase Four of the MCU. So um, this is to call this a Black Widow movie is something of a misnomer. Yes, she's she's in just about every frame or every shot, but um, this is not Scarlett Johansson movie. This is this is this is this is a way of giving her an unceremonious farewell, and this is all about setting up Florence Pugh. Um, to take over and um, to perhaps um, be a prominent player in the in the upcoming Hawkeye series, so that too left a bad taste in the mouth. So you get you know Black Widow gets a standalone movie, but it's really an instrument towards um, someone else uh, becoming a more prominent character within the MCU. So the overall the overall impression you're left with is um, goofy, weird. Too little, too late, and slightly unsatisfying. Yeah, let me ask you a question then, right? Given that this this movie clearly is a vehicle to set up the next phase, like the next Black Widow. Like I imagine, like my sense coming out of this film is that um, Florence Pugh is going to become the next Black Widow, right? That's that's my sense, right? So, did you guys enjoy the character of Yelena, like? Uh, Oh, I felt she was a 
really weird character, right? Like, she was written in a bit of a weird way. Like, she kind of, like... Yeah, I didn't mind her by the end, but there was definitely a moment at the beginning where I was like, what is going on with this character? Because she is supposed to be an assassin who's been working as, like, a super assassin, like, for years and years and years. But she's written for the purposes of this family sitcom as, like, the slightly bratty younger sister, right? (laughs) And... There and so she kind of says some sort of pretty random stuff, and it's kind of like I think the intention is to offset her against the responsible older sister, right? You have, you know, responsible older sister who has like taken control of her life and is now part of the Avengers, and the younger sister who like is kind of like questioning her life choices and maybe a little bit jealous of the older sister and you know, acts up as a result, right? And I get that it kind of... It's okay for the... I understand the intention for that sort of family sitcom, but, I mean, it's a weird sort of thing to go for if you're going to set this up, this person up as the next Black Widow, right? Like, (laughs) it's like a weird tone to use. I I, I don't know if... What do you guys think of that? Look, I thought thought the character of Yelena was was fine for the most part. I thought Florence Pugh brought a lot of sass to the to the character and it was good to see her taking the piss out of the Scarlett Johansson poses, which um, they had to stick one more in uh, when she lands on the bridge in the Russian prison, but um, at least there was a degree of self-awareness on the part of the makers of the movie um, in inserting that joke into the film. And she is obviously a very, very charismatic performer. And so she kind of does steal the movie out from under Scarlett Johansson. But um, this, this, but as you say, Daz, there is some weird stuff in, in, the, in, in the characterization, not least because at one point when, when the family is sitting down for dinner or whatever it is they're having, um, she says that, the, that whatever fake family setup they had in Ohio felt real to her and she she sort of becomes and she sort of storms off in this really bratty way and she becomes suddenly she's she's suddenly infantilized um in a way that sort of comes kind of out of nowhere given the sort of sass that we saw from her before so um i think that just speaks to the um lack of control on the part of the makers of the movie of um tone yeah, um, there are so many tones that they're that they're reaching for, um, so many tonal shifts that they're trying to insert into this movie, so many comedic and yet very serious uh, beats that they're trying to hit that um, some of the characterization goes a bit askew as a consequence. Yeah, I, I think about this film and I think like I compare it to because you were saying that. Marvel hasn't really done the thriller, but they kind of have with Winter Soldier, right? Like, Winter Soldier was meant to be this type of... Like, tonally, right? Tonally, I thought that they were going to go for a Winter Soldier type of feel for this film. And they did kind of at the beginning, and then it kind of, like, is all over the place, right? Throughout, like... You know, as this film goes on, I think one of the reasons why Winter Soldier works is because that tone is like so um, consistent. I think throughout throughout that film, and, like, and the reason I say that also is that because there are sort of certain like visual choices that hearken to Winter Soldier, right? Because you know, like in the later Captain America films, they always have this thing where like they go to this sort of city on earth and then they just like they have the you know name of the city emblazoned right like on the screen right um it's kind of adds to that sort of international spy mystery feel right like i they definitely did it in in winter soldier right where like as they're going around the the earth it's kind of like they get to like kiev or whatever it is and then you see kiev written on the on the um screen in big letters right and they do that exact visual cue in this film as well it's just that even though i think they were like i I don't know i don't know right because this is this film feels so muddled in some ways that i feel like potentially they were trying to sort of get that sort of 
um, Captain America Winter Soldier vibe to the film. But yeah, I think as we've said, like the huge number of contrasting tones in this film basically means that like it it feels really bizarre as a film. Yeah, and you know, Captain America: Winter, The Winter Soldier is a movie that, as the direct, as the Russo brothers said, was very, very obviously inspired by um, 1970s-style um, conspiracy paranoid thrillers like The Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor. Um, and so, even if they they didn't completely match up with those sorts of movies in terms of quality and ambition, you could see the inspiration. Whereas this was quite obviously inspired by freaking Moonraker. So, <laughs> like, you know, that, that, that I think really says it all. Um, as a consequence of which, despite the fact that, you know, both play in the espionage thriller um, wheelhouse, uh, they are actually quite distinct and both as to tone and as to ultimately um quality of of the product yeah 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 i mean i I think about some of the characters right i think adager was mentioning that um you know rachel white's character who basically is this scientist who has been creating mind control formula right and like (laughs) the way the character is dealt with is just it's as if she's not really complicit in any of this, right? Like, it's just like, like, yeah, whatever, right? Like, oh, we're family now. Don't worry about it, right? And then, like, the Red Guardian, David Harbour's character, who, look, David Harbour, I think, is quite a charismatic actor and, like, he could pull off comedy decently, right? He plays this role of... He's been playing this role of, like, um, sort of uh, father at his wit's end, Right, like you know, this father that is doesn't quite know what to do. Like you know, he does this, this same role in Stranger Things, essentially. Right, so he's been doing the same role, and like <laughs> by the end of the film, he's just like comic relief, <laughs> right? Like anyway, it's yeah. Some of these character choices are, are really quite bizarre. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. What did we think about um, <laughs> how... So, Jerry, I, I, I don't know, or anyone else, actually. Like, is this meant to lead onto a Hawkeye film, or is the Hawkeye series supposed to be on Disney Plus? Like, what's what's going on? What's what's actually the next play here? There's a, there's a Hawkeye series that's coming out, I think, in October, October or November. Uh, and so I think this is setting up for... Um, Yelena to be a, a character in in that, particularly because you've got the the Julia Louis Dreyfus character, the Contessa Valentina, whatever her name is. Have uh, we seen her before? We, we um, have. She she appears briefly in a couple of scenes in uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, so because, because I didn't watch guys, that. Yeah. Because you guys have, didn't uh, <laughs> didn't suffer through the entirety of that show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you you. you uh, you you missed out on something really special in the form of the, the, these cameos on the part of uh, Elaine Bennis. But yeah. uh... okay, basically Julia Louis Dreyfus in that scene, I was like, she's playing the same character as Veep, right? You know, you've seen the HBO series Veep. Yeah, she's yeah, basically yeah. playing Veep, like <laughs> Selena Myers from Veep. Yeah. Right? I was like, what is Selena Myers doing in a Marvel film? So her, her character. Contessa Valentina something, <laughs> otherwise known as Madame Hydra in the comic books, yeah. is, I think, supposed to be putting together a team of, like, either anti-heroes or villains because one of the people she recruits in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is um, the Wyatt Russell character who gets dragooned into being uh, Captain America 2.0 but proves to be really, really bad at the job. Yeah. So, um, so... They are obviously setting up um, something broader with her recruiting, you know, these um, less than perfectly pure characters, either towards villainous or slightly uh, less than heroic ends. Um, but, you know, 
this is all just being hinted at um, at various points in these properties. It's going to be a while before we see what the what the bigger picture is. But uh, you know, so if you if you didn't if you didn't watch the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which you know. I don't blame you if you didn't. Uh, you wouldn't have understood uh, that stinger. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me go around the table. Like you know, we were pretty sort of. I, I think we were. We felt that Loki was pretty mediocre, <laughs> generally, right around this table. Um, yeah. We felt that Black Widow was. I, I'm. I, I think we all think that Black Widow is pretty mediocre as well. So, are, w- are we excited <laughs> or not really about any of this stuff? Are you guys excited about the Hawkeye series? Is this no, like increasingly less, increasingly less concern and more like uh, like it's it's seeming a bit chore like now. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to watch it, but I don't think I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, Sad. <laughs> yeah. To top it all off, Clint Barton is quite possibly the single most boring character <laughs> in the entire MCU. And this is this is not a knock on Jeremy Renner, who's generally pretty good and in fact pretty awesome uh, when he's got the when he's got the right material. But like Hawkeye is just the lamest character, uh, and to think that they're trying to create a TV show out of him is just it's just ridiculous. Yeah, see, what what makes me even more concerned about all of this is that I do not believe that they have put together a show on Disney+, Plus which has been, like, good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how else to put it, right? <laughs> I don't think they've put together a good Marvel Disney Plus show yet, right? I think they've put together a few mediocre ones, right? Mm. So, and it's like, okay, so they haven't... So, and Loki, in my mind, was the great white hope, right? Because it's like, um, he was, like, Tom Hiddleston was, like, the most charismatic out of all those characters. And they still put together this show, which was, like, all over the place in terms of plot. Um, so I'm like, wow. Like, Hawkeye is already not the most, like, he's not the most interesting character. And now they're doing another Disney Plus show, when none of the others have really landed, like, what is going to happen here, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What, I wonder who they've got as the writers for all these shows. Like, is it Team C, Team B? Clearly not Team A. Yeah. Or if it's a team, like, what happened? Yeah, like, you know, what happened? Look, look I, I think, though, one thing that we do have to remember is that, objectively, the Marvel films were not all good, right? Like, I, yeah, like, there were bad Marvel films. It just happened that, like, the lead-up, the way the Marvel films worked was that they had good enough, like, strong films at the beginning and then some patchiness. And the lead-up to, like, you know, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame was, like, really strong, right? Because they had, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, you had Avengers Infinity War, like, really, really strong film. So you kind of have this sort of, maybe it's distorted view of Marvel, where it's like, wow, these Marvel films are all really good. Like Guardians, of course. Guardians 1 and 2, which I enjoyed, both of them, right? So it's like, so they had this string of strong films, but I guess the thing to remember is that I think early on, there were like really patchy ups and downs, right? Yeah. And I think part of it is also that the, the MCU is now so big, there are now so many characters uh, that you have to bring in so many teams to work on this multitude of projects that even as brilliant as Kevin Foggy is, like, he cannot possibly pull off the job of quality control over all of this material. It's just beyond the, it's beyond the abilities of any one Hollywood executive, no matter how brilliant, uh, to be able to ensure that every one of these projects um, is a home run. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and so you do see, you know, weird things in each of these shows. I mean, one development that you may not be aware of, Daz and Mags, given that you didn't watch um, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is that Sharon Carter is now a bad guy? What? What? <laughs> no. 
she was like a nothing character to begin with anyway, right? Yeah, but like... now, now, and she's now an international arms dealing villain. <laughs> what? This was the lady who originally they were going to set up Captain America with, right? This yeah. is Agent whatever her name, Agent 13 or whatever it was. Yeah, and, and, and the, the niece of Peggy Carter. Yeah, um, yeah. She's, she's now a villain. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So, so it, it just seems to me that the universe is spinning out in so many directions um, that – and there are so many balls in the air, so many spinning plates, if I'm permitted to mix metaphors, that – Quality control is suffering as a consequence. But isn't um, it... is no longer being as tightly run? Yeah. And you have this. You have this. And look, it's great that there are so many projects, so that lots of diverse um, teams of talent can come together. I think it's great that all these people are getting opportunities to run shows, etc. But um, part of the problem is you, you, you're just not going to maintain that same cons- consistent level of quality. Um, as a consequence. And, and so, I, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'll just add that I, I actually think this is, this is potentially the fate of comic book universes, right? Because, like, I mean, <laughs> you look at the number of times the DC universe has had to reboot itself, the number of times that Marvel has tried to reboot its various franchises, simply because, like, over time, these stories get so bloated Right, these this universe becomes so big and like overwrought that like no one can really control it. Right? No one can really con- like like maintain the quality of these stories. Right, so you know it could actually just be the MCU is following in the footsteps of its comic book predecessors, where like the level of bloat just means that you have really choppy storytelling. And who knows, they might need to reboot at some point in the future. They probably will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I imagine, I imagine one of the convenient things about the entire about opening up the entire multiverse is that if it gives the if they if there is a need to reboot, that's actually a convenient plot device that allows them to do just that. Yeah, they can just move to another universe. It's like, okay, the story in this universe is over. Let's let's go to another universe. Ah, uh, the yeah. multiverse. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is there anything else we want to say about Black Widow, Andrew? Mags, anything? No, no, no. We said it all. Yeah. Did you ever have anything to say, Joe? Oh, no. Joe, you didn't want to provide Disney with any free legal advice? No, no, no. 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 Yeah, and uh, so apparently is Emily Blunt. Yeah, because of Cruella. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so pretty much every actor who has a film on uh, Disney Plus who had like some sort of theatrical yeah, bonus. So, <laughs> yeah, so so Emma Stone is considering it. Uh, the rumor also is that Emily Blunt is considering it in relation to uh, Jungle Cruise that just hit just hit Disney Plus last. Week. <laughs> uh, Oddly enough, no mention of The Rock. So, uh, so, uh, um, but so it, are they all women? The women? So far, so far, they're all women. Um, but and it ter- and it, it, it's it's a it's a really you know sort of interesting um, problem that Disney has for itself. The issue is it's not so. So, um, Scarlett Johansson is getting. A, a cut out of the premier access fees that we've all paid in order to watch uh, Black Widow on Disney+. Oh, Plus. she so is getting a cut of that. She's getting a cut of that. What she's really agitated about, even though I mean, I've I've read the I've read the complaint. So she's not suing for breach of contract. She's suing Disney for tortious interference and inducing a breach of contract. So her contract, the contract of her company Periwinkle was with Marvel. Uh, and she's saying that Disney caused Marvel to breach its contract with her, so she's suing them in tort, and she's thereby seeking punitive damages. And I suspect her punitive damages will include what she says are is a cut of the overall subscription revenue of Disney Plus, because she's saying that the release strategy for Black Widow uh, has allowed um, Disney to juice up subscription numbers or to maintain high subscription numbers. For Disney Plus, so she wants a cut. 
by way of punitive damages, punitive damages of that of that subscription revenue, which would, if it succeeds, punch a big hole through the Disney Plus business model. Because oh, if you had to, God, for sure. if you had to share subscription revenues with all the big stars in all your big yeah, property, get out, get out of yeah, here, yeah. You'd be, you, you would, you, it would sink the entire streaming service. Yeah. So, um, or make it prohibitively expensive. So, um, so that's it's it's a really big fight. Um, supposedly, Feige was pro Johansson and wanted Disney to cut a deal with her and pay her out. For for one reason or another, Disney has decided not to do that. And based on the press release that they released the other day, um, they have decided to go very much to war against yeah. Scarlett Johansson. So uh, watch this space. Yeah, and look, like for me, I don't really have a dog in this race, right? Like I look at both of these, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, look, as far as I'm concerned, this is just a commercial matter that's sorted out between parties, right? Like, um, I, I don't necessarily think that. I, I was actually surprised just then, Jerry, that like I I wasn't sure if Scarlett. I thought that Scarlett Johansson was suing because she didn't get a share of the premier access profits. But if she actually is getting a share of the premier access profits, like I mean, this yeah. is just. I mean, she's certainly getting a share of those, but they are not as substantial as what she would have gotten had there been an exclusive theatrical release of the movie, and she got points on the on the t- on the box office revenue. I think she was expecting something in the middle. Some she was expecting up up to as much as fifty million dollars more than she than she's gotten so far. Oh my god. But, but this, this this is where it's like, I, I don't really feel this. Like, I mean, I'm kind of like, well, who's right or who's wrong here, right? Like, I don't know. This is just a commercial matter that's going to be figured out in the courts. I, I don't feel like there's any sort of... Either side has any sort of moral superiority in this game. I yeah. No, that's, 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 that's absolutely right. But just as a, just as a, just as a Hollywood development, you, you rarely ever see um, stars litigate like that. Yeah. Uh, Studios, particularly against a studio as <laughs> monolithically huge as Disney. Well, um, her character is definitely dead now. Black Widow is definitively dead in the MCU, right? Yeah, like, there's no coming that. back from that Soul it's Stone like, incident. ScarJo has no Fs to give in this. Uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining me, everybody, tonight to talk about Black Widow. Um. Yeah, and we'll be back to talk about something else soon. Um, we don't know what that is because we're all still in lockdown, but we will figure something out. Um, thanks, everyone. Say goodnight. Bye. Ciao.